I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Today is Sunday, May 28th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 520 features former ESPN fantasy basketball writer Seth Landman. And I'm Evan Valenti, and this show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. Oh my god. Oh my god. I can't, I kinda can't believe we're doing this, but I can believe we're doing this and this is just incredible and I, I, part of me is out of words and yet we're gonna find a way. We're going to find a way. Welcome into Celtics Beat, a Game 7 preview edition in the Eastern Conference Finals. Boston back home. The Celtics, who have won three straight games, now will battle the Heat for a chance to return to the NBA Finals. And there are so many reasons that this show is happening exactly the way it is happening right now. So Evan Valenti is here, obviously. I am Adam Kaufman. We're generally always here. At least one of us is always here. Seth Landman is back here for uh, a, a litany of reasons. Now, one, and hi, how are you? It's good to see you again. Are any of them about what a great guy I am? None, not a one. Uh, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's much more superstition. I, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of this show's lucky the leprechaun, maybe. Uh, <laughs> you, you, uh, you, you have come on to preview each and every, every series so far. You've come on to, you know, in, it's like right before game one of each series back in round one, Atlanta, round two, obviously Philly and this round with Miami. And uh, if, in fact, Boston pulls this off and advances to face Denver, another team that you are quite fond of in the NBA Finals, then you will be right back with us for our very next show in a couple of days. Because, as we know, the NBA Finals begin in just a few days. That is that is set in stone. It is locked in June 1st. That is Game 1. And it would be in Boston, again, if the Celtics do manage to pull this off. But why you are here ahead of that show, if that show even happens, and specifically for this show, is... Again, superstition. Uh, you and Evan, when these two teams met in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and I was, uh, in a hotel room in Disney in, in, in the quiet, trying not to wake my family, I did not do the show. I was on vacation, but you guys together did the show previewing that game seven. And, uh, and, and as you have already flashed at the video for anyone watching versus listening, you drank 
You spent about 90 minutes in a very dark place trying to envision how that game was going to go. Yeah. Uh, it was really a, a compelling listen. I did, I did really <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, One of the it, darkest ever episodes. Of- yeah, it was yeah but, but it, it was, was fun. And, uh, th- look to the, to the listener. I, I, I mostly guarantee we won't go 90 minutes. Uh, but I did want to make sure I, I almost considered stepping aside. Maybe some of our, our listeners wished I had, but I wanted to make sure that the two of you were back together again, previewing a Celtics heat game seven and uh hopefully some of what happened last year follows us this year and we get a return trip to the nba finals but before we largely preview i don't want to do too much looking back because enough shows radio tv podcasts whatever have already done that you've gotten everybody's opinions and everybody's opinion was oh my god so we don't need to do that again for you but i do want to touch on a little bit of what, you know, without a full debrief, just a little bit of what went down in game six and the fact that this game is even happening in the first place. Seth, we'll start with you obviously being the guest. Your emotions of that game when Boston really seemed in control until about, what, four, four and a half minutes left in that fourth quarter when it very clearly slipped away. Jason Tatum, who was incredibly aggressive. I mean, two-pointer after two-pointer, attacking the basket, getting to the line like he could do nothing wrong in the first half. Second half, no points in the third quarter, largely invisible, uh, you know, comparative anyway to the first quarter, obviously. And, you know, he did other little things. I'm not saying like Tatum, you know, flaked or something, but he largely invisible offensively compared, obviously, to that first half when he had 25 points or whatever it was. And then slips away, slips away, slips away. <laughs> The last two-minute report we can dive into a little bit. I know you have thoughts. And then, obviously, Derek White sends everybody, you know, well, not everybody home happy. The game was in Miami. But but Celtics fans elated across the nation. What were you thinking as this thing was playing out? That game was so many different kinds of games. You know, we have all these cliches for understanding games as they're happening. We find – I'm sure you guys do this, too – the lead isn't as big as we think it should be. Like, you know, Miami's making all these threes. The Celtics are playing really beautifully in the first half. What are they in with a four point lead or something? So it's like the cliche at this point is, um, is that you say they should have a bigger lead than they have, right? Like we, we, we have all these narratives that we tell ourselves as the games are going on in order to understand what's happening, but it did feel, and, and actually I would argue it stayed this way. Although, the end of the game in a similar way to last year's game seven, like slipped away in some very, what I think are very similar ways, but the Celtics, I would say stayed in control. I I thought they controlled pace really well. I thought they played a really, really incredible defensive game. Like even down the stretch in some cases, except for a few things that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about like uh, losing three point shooters on screen actions, but um yeah, this felt like a game where the Celtics were in control, maybe should have had a slightly bigger lead than they had. It, it, it's You can forget this now, that they lost the lead early in the fourth quarter also and then built up another lead. Um, so the, it was just a real roller coaster ride. And then, um, you know, I was, I've been trying to figure out, like, if, if my last time I was on, I think we talked about my negative mind, like the way I get negative about things. Yeah, and. Did. So is that why I couldn't tell that Derek White's shot was good at the end? Like, is it just me being negative that I didn't even let myself? (laughs) 
it looked late to me. Like, I swear to God, I saw the light go off. Like, you know, I know what to look for, but, you know. Well, I think, I, I think part of it is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but, and I certainly don't have a statistic to back this up, but when you just think about it as a basketball fan. Yeah. After, you know, years of watching. Yeah. The vast majority of the time that that happens, like that, you know, the tip in the the prayer and the tip in at the buzzer the majority of the time it's not good it's late right right so at least it feels that way maybe i'm statistically wrong i have no well, idea because it certainly feels that way you hold so, for the last shot right it's like you yeah. um i mean eh, when you're down you're not really supposed to but with three seconds left it's it's six of one half a dozen of the other but right yeah no i think you're right that like often the play that you try to run and part of what happened here is that it was a broken play right from the inbound pass. Um, but the play you try to run takes a certain amount of time and it's usually the amount of time you have left, right? Like that's yeah. kind of how you draw it up. Um, you try to plan for an offensive rebound. I mean, you got to give credit to not just white, but Tatum. I think like both of those guys go so hard at the rim after that shot goes up. Yeah. Um, well, and Tatum and saw him and uh, like, I love watching the replay. Everyone's watched it a thousand times, but Tatum goes up with him, obviously, because they're both chasing the board, like you said. And he like, he saw white with a better angle and he just, you yeah. know, back quickly backs off, which, you know, I don't know if white had fumbled the ball or something, people would probably would have found a way to criticize that because that's just the way it works. But I thought that was a really heads up play by Tatum. Yeah. yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Like, to have the wherewithal to even bother crashing the glass there, um, you know, I think you see, like, I can't, I just can't imagine being like smart enough about anything that like I see that shot go up. <laughs> my instinct is to crash the glass. Like, I I can't imagine not just staring at that shot like a moron. You know, yeah. like that three seconds though is like the perfect encapsulation of why we all love Derek White, right? Yes, he inbounds the basketball and immediately jumps to the corner to give Marcus more space. That's right. And then just immediately crashes the glass. Like he doesn't stop moving. He inbounds the basketball, moves to the corner, and then just automatically crashes. Like this guy does so many little things naturally, like without thinking. He just does them on a basketball floor, and that's like the thing that. Seth, I know you were very pro Derek White trade. Adam, I know you were very pro Derek White trade. I was very pro Derek White trade. When you watch San Antonio highlights when they made the Derek White trade, yeah, they're filled of all of those type of plays. You're like, oh, this guy's like, like kind of a like the perfect pickup basketball player. Like, just does a little bit of everything. Feel like he's got great, great feel. Just it was was three seconds, but high basketball IQ. Yeah, IQ feel. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome, and and like the thing is, and Barrett talked about this on our last show. White's made three threes in at least every single one of these games. He's been They're absolutely including nailed. a sixer. Yeah, absolutely nails this entire postseason for the most part. After what was a tough one last year, like the narrative surrounding Derek White is so much different because he's obviously significantly more comfortable playing with his team. Yeah, and, and like when they lose a major piece like Brogdon, because that's a major piece. Like that's the sixth man of the year right there. They have the depth to have Derek White, who was their third best player on the team this regular season. By the mm-hmm. way, step up and just be huge. He's been, and again, it's it's a it's a joy for me. It's a joy for the, for the rest of the guys in this particular show because we all believe in Derek White. This was just like it was a vindication. Another, this is just another day for us. But for those that doubted. Man, I mean, what a way to win the hearts of Boston right there. I, and it's 
What's funny is that as you were talking about, is it my negative mind that I first just went to the, it, it's not good. That's the worst possible outcome. Like you could possibly come up with like to get to game six, like I know have game six play out the way it did and to lose because you didn't get the tip in in enough time and you melted it away in the fourth quarter. That's the, like you don't even get to the game seven because we all talked right. about, Oh, this is going to go seven. Like the fact that it's here, the fact that you didn't get a chance in game mm-hmm. seven to make history, like to lose it with point, whatever, like not enough time on the clock. If you just had point one more seconds, that would have been the difference between not going to game seven and going to game. like it was the worst possible outcome. And the fact that it's not made it yeah. so much sweeter, boys. Well, and on sort of if we're gonna pull it back, I promise. This will be a momentary lapse of of the of vibes. This is this is a vibes show more. No, than we're anything. going vibes here. No, You'll notice well, me and Evan with our, with our, well, good. our I, glasses I, here. I want I want you to pull me back. Yeah, I just want I just want to because like I want to negative mind something really mm-hmm. quickly because it's just sort of eating at me a little bit because, you know, I'm all over Twitter and I'm seeing uh, like all of the, uh, all the like man- the really brilliant discourse. Coming <laughs> up, Not even that, like the manufactured gifts of like Derek white on, on Dave Roberts head sliding into second and, you know, like, it's like Jimmy Butler being Jeter and you know, all that, like That's all the, greatest. You know, people comparing it to Bird steals the ball or, you know, Butler's interception in the end zone and all of these things. And where my, for right or wrong, okay? Like, I hope they win game seven, win the title. Like, I, I hope this is the Roberts steal, meaning it is the catalyst to, you know, like they don't lose again this postseason. They win eight straight like the Red Sox in 04. Like, how wonderful would that be? But, and tell me if I'm wrong, please tell me if I'm wrong about this. If they lose game seven, God forbid, if they lose game seven. Oh, yeah. Isn't White's play kind of suddenly meaningless? Meaningless. Yeah. Like, like, isn't, Does I mean, suck? like, like barely even gets remembered. But this, <laughs> like, like, this like, if, if, like, if you get to the finals and lose, but you get there, White's play goes down in infamy still. But if you lose game seven, White's play suddenly is Disappears. just completely vanishes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about sports is like, it does matter if you win or not. Um, and it shouldn't like, okay, what, what a game like this is supposed to teach us is that, is that luck is very important. Mm-hmm. And that, so these are my, th- this is what I wanted to get into. It's related to what I wanted to get into about the last two minute report. So like, maybe I'll talk about this a little bit. Like, um, I was thinking about the, the officials, by the way, no, this particular well, the, last two minute report. It was not great. But like the one I want to talk about is like Tatum getting fouled by Vincent on that drive. Yeah. Cause like that drive was a really interesting play in a lot of ways. Um, uh, but what, so but the, the last two minute report version of this, like if you give Tatum two free throws there, that's like another place where the game could kind of be over. Um, or like not over, but it's just like two points that are makes it just a much, much more difficult and oh, different like, comeback than, than what is going, than like what they're in the middle of at that moment. And like, and then white and then Butler making all three free throws is a huge play. I mean, Horford, yeah, when it re- should have been a foul on the floor, include, you know, not a shooting foul according to the last two minute report. No, they called it a shooting foul on the last two minute report. But I, did they? I yeah, thought yeah, they, yeah. No, they said it. Maybe correct. I read Washburn's tweet wrong. I thought Washburn's yeah. tweet said no, it. Correct like, call on the shooting foul. 
correct call in the shooting foul and correct and that they got the time right. right. It should yeah, okay. yeah. Um, All right. but like but but certainly um certainly you could argue it the other way. Like it it's 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 definitely close one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um Butler going to the line and making all three free throws. That's another like one of these moments that could go like lots of different ways. Like we've seen like really good free throw shooters can struggle to make all three, like in the middle of meaningless games, like the three free throws thing is a weird thing. Um, And then, and then of course, like Derek white having this like miracle rebound put back. So like Duncan Robinson missing two threes, two wide open looks. Wide open. So like what the point being, you could play the last few minutes of this game out in all these different ways and in like half of these ways, Miami could win the game. And in half of these games, the Celtics could win the game. And what it comes down to is, is, is frankly luck. Um, in a lot of these close games. And we never want to believe that. Like we keep saying this thing about how Miami is just like inherently good in close games. This has become like a narrative throughout the postseason, but we see when we look at multiple seasons lined up back to back to back, it does tend to be more about luck than we like, than we want to believe that it is close games. And so I think, so where I wanted to go from there is that I was so charmed by what Tatum said after the game. It was like the first time in his career that I've seen him really embrace like that, the, the like luck and joy in that way. He was like bubbling over. It's like something about the absurdity of this game got through to him in a way that made him like really feel how special it is to win a game like that, how lucky you have to be to win a game like that. And to be, to have the opportunity, he, what was the quote he said about like, I've never been this excited to go back to Boston and play a game. Right. Like that's an amazing thing to say after a game like this. Um, That's, that's someone who is like, who's not just like using like, ridiculous like sports militarized rhetoric to like talk about how like we have to be tough and blah blah he's like i'm excited to go play this basketball game like i just thought that was so cool and i think but like who knows what it means in terms of the on-court product but i think it bodes really well in terms of his attitude going into that game and maybe the whole team's attitude i just think like you know like refs get calls wrong like all this stuff it 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 just like None of it really it, it 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 comes down to luck in a lot of ways, and we'll we'll see what happens. Like, but but as a player, are you willing to embrace that part of it? And I think Derek White crashing the glass there is like a version of embracing luck. It's like I don't know if I'm going to get this playoff before the buzzer, but I'm going to go for it and see what happens. It's like you just see what happens. That's I thought it was a lot of too, like just piggybacking off of that. Another thing Tatum said in his both on his on-court TV interview with ESPN or whoever it was, as well as, you know, post-game talking to all the media was, you know, his his love for this team and yeah. this group and the camaraderie. And, and, you know, a skeptic could say that, you know, he was saying that stuff in the wake of, like, Kevin O'Connor's report and trying to, you know, dismiss stuff like that. No, we are a unified group and, you know, F that noise and all of that stuff. But it certainly didn't feel that way. It felt incredibly genuine. And I, you know, part of this is in, and this isn't a Celtics thing. This is a sports thing. Like one winning cures all. Like there, there are plenty of teams that win titles across sports, across decades that the players don't really like each other. They just gel really well together on whatever the field, the court, the ice and, and they find a way to get it done. And again, they are bonded. They are unified in that way. 
you know, we've had conversations privately, like over text, you know, talking about some of these reports. And, you know, you've made the comment like, I don't know, I buy into some of it. I think I think there's certainly some some possibility that that these guys don't like each other as much as we would like them to believe they like each other. And what I sort of you know, and I may have said this to you, I don't remember, and I've definitely said it in other places. But what I sort of hearken it back to is, you know, these guys, the core, especially Mm -hmm have been together for so long. They have been through so much. They spend more time with each other, be it games, practices, traveling, on the road, whatever, than anybody else in their lives. Families, friends, anybody. And, like, who among us can sit here and say, and I include the listener, the viewer, (laughs) that, like, you... You know, like you love your spouse. You don't always like them, (laughs) you know, like you, you know, you battle with your siblings. You, you know, get into it with family members. You like I said to you, Seth, like I I, I, I love you like a brother. I probably couldn't live with you. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) so I, I just think that like some of these things get so overblown in the context of can these guys Put all of the crap aside and win. Can they mm-hmm. can they be successful on the floor and win? And I think this speaks, this is just a much greater point. I think it speaks to a lot of different things. We can go in whatever direction you want. Or we could ignore it entirely. But I, I think it's the, people want to get into the whole, can the Jays win together? Can Smart be part of this core? Can, like, can Joe Missoula, like, do they hear Joe? Are they willing to play for Joe? Well, for all of the people that have been clamoring for him to be fired or, you know, they've tuned him out, or he has to go. He like, never mind the whether or not he's a good coach. You can put all that stuff aside for a moment and just the has he lost the room and all of those things. You don't come back from down 3 0 to force a game seven if you don't believe in your coach, like in any way, shape, or form. Like you just, that doesn't happen. Talent to me, maybe you disagree. Talent to me, does not so far greatly outweigh a 3-0 deficit and a coach being like incompetent and like this guy sucks. You know, 100%. I, 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 but on so, the other yeah, hand, I'm, I'm rambling, but go ahead. I just, well, I just think that I, I think that there was so much more in what Tatum said post game than has even properly been acknowledged when it comes to like the psyche of this team. I agree with what you're saying. The texture I want to add though, is that I also think you could say that, you don't fall down 3-0 in the series in the first place sure. if 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 that is not a problem in some way. And so I think there's like an inher- – I guess what I keep coming back to is that there's an inherent contradiction there in that like a team is never exactly what we think that it is. Like, um, you know, like the Warriors over the last like decade are a good example of like a team that like we still talk about them and rightly so like given what happened in last year's finals as like a group of guys who have like the heart of a champion, right? Like we say, like people say this stuff, but like, does a, does a heart of a champion team go down the way they went down in 20, like 16? Like, mm-hmm. d- does it, does a heart of a champion team blow a three, one lead to LeBron? Does like, does a heart of a champion team have like one of their best players kick a guy in the nuts and get suspended for a game? Like, um, you know, like they make dumb mistakes too. And like most champions do. Um, so I think it's like always just a little more complicated. Like I actually agree with both things. I think like a team that is like not listening to its coach and isn't resilient and tough can't do what the Celtics have already just done in this series. But I also think a team 
that has those qualities can't be necessarily be down three Oh, in the first place in this series. So I think like, I don't know how you square that. It's, it's really wild. It's well, think about it, though. this is a similar conversation that we had last year with, with this, there's because the series there's time in between, we have so much time to like mm-hmm. marinate on every little detail of a game and a game is only 48 minutes. And yeah. if you like string together three bad games in a row, you have all the stuff that everybody was saying after game three and it all sounded fine. I was one of the very few, like, I don't think you should fire Joe. Like it's his first time doing any of this stuff. And he's quite literally there. He's still learning on the job. I think it's remarkable that he's gotten this far while still learning on the job. He's and then he's 34. Like, he's like, let me just show you guys what I've been learning this whole time. And all of a sudden a top golf outing later and, and Joe Missoula like saying, you know what? Like my favorite thing is, this team just decided, like, yeah, we'll spot the Miami Heat three and we'll just – now we'll start adjusting and we'll start using timeouts differently. And, like, when we're really our backs up or against the wall, then we'll start doing things differently. Like, we're, we're just unbeatable in elimination games. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like, have you guys heard of timeouts? These it's, things are amazing. It's so crazy how everything is flipped. And the it's latest fan so is quickly. Yogging, right? maybe soft J, maybe it's yeah. It's cr- It's crazy how quickly this flipped to me. It like, is. And it's like, and this is exactly the Seth's point. Like, it's never this thing or that thing. It's actually probably somewhere in the middle of this. Yeah. Like, this only coming back down three nothing to force game seven proves that Joe Mazzullo is actually like okay at his job. He's not perfect, obviously. He's not like he's going against the best guy. Eric Spolstra is is uh, again to 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 pull out the zone with like four minutes to go for the first time in the game when things really desperate. Like that was crazy smart like that was incredible um he just does stuff and joe's learning of unfortunately against a team that has a lot of continuity mm-hmm. those guys know how to play with each other there he's going against a guy who's been to countless amounts of big games nba conference finals games nba finals games and had to do stuff and learn on the job like i don't know i, I think What's funny is the dif- the difference in tonality of this show this year versus last year. I think is very <laughs> yeah. Because- well, all right. So let's. I I want us to talk about Game Seven and really look ahead to Game Seven, and and you guys can continue to funnel your drinks while we're doing that. But first, Ev, uh, thank the great people who have us here twice a week in the first place, so that we can do this multiple times during the playoffs each and every week. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So, let's talk about Game 7. Game 7. I... I don't generally have what I guess I would like to call blind faith. Uh, I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely did in 2004 as it related to the Red Sox when they were down three Oh, and if Twitter had been around at the time, I, I mean, I was telling everybody I knew I was sure the Red Sox were going to come back to beat the Yankees. Never it had never happened. Who gives a damn? I just felt it in my bones that they were going to come back and win that series. What was the formula? That- it was um, what in game four. And then, um, it, low, well, was it low? What, what was the? It was. You had, uh, 
Well, yeah, chilling. Well, game then, four because we got Pedro in game five, chilling game six. Anything that's that right. Anything can right. happen in game seven. Okay, right. thank you. Yeah. So, and I, but again, you're part of my childhood. No big deal. But, but again, blind faith. It yeah. like it was. It was just. It was shouting into the into the sun, praying it was going to happen. As it comes to the Celtics here, as a a uh, mildly more mature man in my you know young forties, watching this team and being uh, a a little. Uh, you know, skewed by the business and and working in sports and all of that, and and just the general negativity that that you know I I think you know we're we're all burdened by as we get older in some ways. As a great man once said, the negativity in this town stinks. <laughs> right. So uh, I don't look at Game Seven in in any sort of blind faith. Hey, they're coming back home. They're going to win. Sort of way. I do believe Boston is going to win, but it is rooted in this. I have said. I said it on this show. I've said it elsewhere. I believed that if they won game four in Miami, we would see a game six in Miami. That right there was, that's as close to blind faith as it gets regarding game five. It was, if they win game four, I just think there's going to be enough at home to carry them back to Miami in game six. But then I don't know what's going to happen in game six. That was what I said at the time. After those two games played out, I had all the confidence in the world in game six, simply because of the way they were defending and the way they were shooting. What has me confident in game seven now is, well, the defense. do you guys know, they do you guys know what nobody's ever won before? Do you, <laughs> no, because that, that teeters into the blind faith. Do you guys know what the Celtics shot from three in the most recent game? Oh if yeah. I got to memorize. If you take smart and white out. Oh, would it be, it's either one or two for, I don't know the denominator. O for 17. If you take white and smart out. Smart made four, white made three. Is that right? That is correct. Wow. for 17. Tatum went O for eight. Brown went O for four. made three. Ford O for two. And Williams, Grant, O for three. O for 17. So call this blind faith if you want, but I, I don't categorize it this way. I believe they will win game seven, not just it like momentum isn't even really factoring into it unless you believe the heat are mentally soft and I don't. What it is, is this. I believe they will continue to defend the way they are. I think they have a plan. They're going to keep doing it. And I just believe that the way they shot in game six coming back home, there's just no way they're going to shoot that poorly from three in game seven. I just don't believe that. We saw it in game four. We saw it in game five. I believe we will see it again in game seven. And and also role players, historically speaking, tend to play better at home in, you know, in, in these playoffs and in, in like playoffs in general, not just this year. I, I just believe that we will see. And, and that doesn't mean Boston's going to win by 20 or something. But I believe Boston will win this game because I just think you will see a better overall offensive performance from this team that they than they had in in game six. I mean, there were so many ways yeah, you said it, Seth. There were so many ways that they won game six through, by virtue of luck. <laughs> you know, and, and well, luck and great defense. Yeah, great for sure. I don't want to like they they, but they escaped. Yeah, yeah, they and, did. And and I think they will win game seven, not escape game seven. I think they not doesn't mean I'm taking the points, Ev, but I think they will win game seven against Miami because I just I believe they will shoot better, and it's, I believe that the crowd at home matters, even despite what their playoff record over the years would tell you at home. Uh, and and I I think you know like Grant to me can't continue to be this bad. I I just believe that Horford, you know, uh, again offensively speaking. Defense has been great, but offensively speaking, I I I 
expect to knock down a three or two. I think some, and, and I don't, I'm not someone who believes that white is going to keep, I, I've been wrong every time. I don't think he's going to keep hitting three, three pointers every single game, but I, and, and Tatum is not going to go over eight from three. That's just not going to happen in game seven. So if you want to accuse me of some of this, like blending into blind faith, but I just believe that they are going to be better. I don't think you're out on a limb suggesting they're not going to have, they just had like the worst yeah. three point shooting game they've had of the season. I don't think yeah, it's like 20%. Yeah. So, I mean, they're going to make like, it's always a good bet. Three, three point shooting is different than two point shooting. Um, and over and over again, we see in the numbers that teams are likely like the best bet for the next game is that they, they find their water level. Like, um, like the hot streaks game to game don't tend to really exist usually with three point shooting. And so, or they exist, but like, it's not a good way to determine what's about to happen. And so I think, yeah, the best like guess is that they shoot somewhere between like 35 and 40% on threes. Um, I would be more concerned about the denominator. Like I, th- I think they need to take more than 40 of them. Mm. Um, and. I think like, you know, they, they got, I don't, it, was it because they're not making threes or what? Like they, they did a great job of like scoring in the paint. Um, I think like, you know, one funny thing about that play where Tatum that the last two minutes said Tatum report said Tatum got fouled. Um, when Tatum and Brown attack off the dribble without an advantage, I'm this is, we've heard me talk about this on the podcast before. I'm obsessed with this. They lose the ball a lot. On that play, you can see J- Jimmy thinks he's getting Tatum from behind. He like does the reach around thing. He tries to slap the ball away after Tatum's by him. And Tatum was like paying attention. Um, and did not he you can see him like focus on not losing the ball when Butler goes for that steal. That I that I feel like Butler was getting roughly a hundred percent of the time on other plays. So I mean, like, you know, they were doing a great job of going to the basket. But when they're at their best, it's weird to say about a team, but when they're at their best, they're just doing like really, really simple stuff. And like a lot of people made the point that Spo was like bringing a little more pressure on the Celtics, um, a little like double teaming Tatum occasionally, like uh, at the top of the key. And that in games uh, four and five, Tatum was doing a good job of getting off of it early. So like as soon as that double team comes, one of the adjustments Missoula made was to bring someone rather than having him have to make like a really great pass out of that double team, bringing someone up to the perimeter so that it's like a really easy pass out of that double team. And what you see with the Celtics is that when they just make one pass, like one simple pass, the ball gets moving. Like they make the next pass. They make the next pass. There was a play in that game where the ball got all the way back to Tatum and it like, uh, really good stuff when they pass the ball. I got a great stat for you here. In the in this series, this is my favorite. I can't believe this, it was true when I looked it up. So in this series, um, if you look at passes per possession for the Celtics, they're averaging three passes per possession in wins, two point six four in losses, and their three highest. Sorry. And the three highest games of the series in passes per possession are the three wins and the three lowest games in passes per possession are the three losses. When they like more passing is really good for the Boston Celtics, especially when those passes are just like 
easy, like just swing it around and see what, see what little crack forms. And then as soon as they're at, an, at any advantage, they have like five or six guys who are, are incredible at, at attacking an advantage. They don't have guys, I think kind of Tatum and Brown included, who are like great at attacking when they don't have any advantage yet. There's a so play I, that, that that reminds me of, and it's it's actually one with Jalen Brown, where Jalen swung it around the entire perimeter and went all the way around and found Jalen again. It was the hook play where he got mm-hmm. hooking, but the ball. But literally ball. every dude on the floor touched the ball. Touched the ball after Jalen touched it, which is not something that happens that often with Jalen Brown. Yeah, um, usually it finds Jalen Brown, and that's usually where it stays. But uh, <laughs> it was it was one of those things. It was blind trust where this again everybody touches the basketball, and that's when the Celtics are at their best. Is when guys are moving, guys are cutting, and everybody's having a little taste. And it's it's what's what it's annoying that they don't do that all the time. But it's also like kind of hard to play that way because at the same time. Boston clearly knows they have certain advantages on certain guys when they get certain switches. Yeah. Like, and one of the, and, and, you know, let me see if we can find a way to tie into this particular game. Because we've talked a lot about game six and we haven't talked a lot about game seven. Well, oh, that's what I was trying to say about game seven though, is like more passes. That's what right, they need that's to the do. Thing. But like yeah, one yeah. of the things that I've noticed is, and it came through last game specifically is Tatum was killing Jimmy Butler when mm-hmm. Jimmy, Jimmy got switched on Tatum. And I, I'm never going to count Jimmy out. I'm just not as meant, as much as people want to count him out. I'm like, unless you beat Jimmy four times, he's still got a chance. And I'm just not going to say that he's going to lose. But I'll say this, like Jimmy kind of looks tired. He just looks a little tired. And Tatum putting him in the torture chamber. Bam too, by the yeah. way. What? Bam, too, by the way. They yeah, played they 46 and 47 minutes last yeah, night. Yeah, I pointed that out. Yeah. People were wondering why I pointed that out last night and couldn't put two to two together. Anyway, when they get certain matchups, like when Jimmy's on Tatum, like I think Tatum's like, I'm going at this guy. This guy can't guard me right now. He's exhausted. And so sometimes that that harmony gets broken up because they have certain advantages. Like, And so it's, 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 it's annoying. I get it. I get people get frustrated, but at the same time, like – Go play a basketball game at this level and then understand how hard it is to win games like this. And I like think it is hard. And, and I think it's so – I, I forget. Like it's – I think it's also so hard when you're great at something to, to like get, to give up your control. Like I think this is what they deal with. It's, I think it's really hard to do to, to know like, okay, I have the ball. I already have the ball. Like I don't have to even pass it to have the ball. And there's someone in front of me I think I can beat one-on-one. And so I'm going to pass the ball and, like, risk turning it over instead of just, like, doing – like, going at it right now. And I think the blind faith part of basketball is that you, like, have to involve your teammates for reasons that are not clear in the moment. It just works. Like, we just have evidence over years and years of time that, like, when when everyone's involved, the ball. This is why Steve, people like Steve Kerr say like mystical things like the ball finds energy and like you know these things that you hear coaches say. It's because they're trying to find a way to explain this thing that makes no sense, which is like you have to move the ball even sometimes even when you already have the advantage, you just have to do it. <laughs> yeah, I I just think so. When all right, 
well, I, I gave my opinion. I think they're going to win game seven. If, if you guys are, are comfortable putting that into the world, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, what is your feeling about this game? Not, not what 60, they need to, do to be successful. We all, all right. That's really, where I'm at. We get into uh, another, um, topic that is one of the things I think is fascinating about this particular show are the parallels between this year and last year and what Seth and I talked about this year and last year. Rebounding one more time, Seth. How crucial is rebounding for this basketball team? The and they got kind of killed in game six, actually. Yeah. And the offensive glass. 17 on the offensive Boston. glass for Miami. Yeah. And, and like, look at some of the stuff that bought, like, uh, what, Jalen had what, five offensive rebounds in game six? He did. Well, can I, can I add a little texture to this though? Cause you know how I keep yammering about how the Celtics- Bam each had seven, by the way. Yeah, the Celt- you know how like the Celtics don't force turnovers. This is like a thing we've talked about. Yeah, for game five, about. where they force a ton. Well, of them. I <laughs> think one. I think one of the adjustments in this series is to is that Miami was really comfortable in the first three games, and like part of the reason they're shooting the lights out is that they're just comfortable. And so I think one of the adjustments Joe made is to amp up the pressure, but you see, you can see like the cracks that that creates, like. um by amping up the pressure, you're more vulnerable. Like you're more vulnerable to giving up offensive rebounds. You're more vulnerable to the um, the cracks where they're getting these open threes because usually either Jalen or Smart is getting lost on these picks. Um, you know, those are plays that happen because you're trying to you're trying to amp up your pressure and be more aggressive. And 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 Spo talked about after the game that like the Celtics many times in the game the Celtics did have them jammed up. I think. It's it's hard not to say it was a one of their best defensive performances, but I think some of shooting fourteen for thirty on threes is luck, and some of it is that maybe you're getting some like, I mean, the maybe the things that me, that made you make Miami only shoot thirty percent on twos are like are freeing up some outside shooters, and and that's why they're shooting like you know forty, whatever it was, seven percent on threes. Is, I don't know. It's like all these things go together. You like you change yeah. one thing, it changes everything else. This I'm not asking this the right way because I don't want to do the whole like lazy who's the X factor in game seven kind of question. I just I watch these games and in this I feel like I need to say this in a certain context. The scariest players on Miami for me personally, when yeah. I'm watching the game, are Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent. Duncan Robinson, like it's not Jimmy and Bam. I know what Jimmy and Bam do, and I don't worry about those other guys that I just mentioned full-on taking over a game, even though we've seen Martin do it a couple of times. We sure have. It's it's just sort of their general existence on the floor and knowing what they are capable of, and just any time the ball leaves their hands toward the basket, I gasp in a way that... Butler or Bam, as good as Bam is in the mid-range or as good as Butler is at getting to the hole and all that, that, they, like, the Celtics could lose game seven with Butler going off, and that would surprise nobody. Mm -hmm. But he still does not frighten me in quite the same way as those other guys do, simply because, I I guess it goes back to this. I've said this on this show a number of times in this series. I just kind of feel like, to a certain degree, you can let Butler get his. And you can let Bam get 20. You got to control the role players. And if you don't control the role players, you're probably done. 
And so it's those guys, like we talked about Robinson, the multiple open looks that he missed toward the end of game six. It's those guys, Seth, Seth, that just, they scared the ever-loving crap out of me in the same way that like, you know, like Tatum and Brown need to be Tatum and Brown in game seven, most especially Tatum needs to be Tatum. But, you know, like then White and Smart are in a different category. Alan Grant are in a different category. Like if Grant has 15 points. Oh, yeah. Miami's in a ton of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know, otherwise no one else is doing anything and and that just doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, it's but I don't know. Like we've seen the Grant game in the same way that we saw the Kelly Olenek game. Like that it has happened before. But well, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, isn't this why we talk like this is why we talk about Philly the way we talk about Philly? Like that you can that th- this is why like my whole point about Embiid being guardable. It's not that I don't think Joel Embiid is like perfectly likely to score 40 points if you guard him the way I would suggest guarding him he's going to put up 40 every game if you guard him that way but what's not going to happen is he's not going to get anyone else going like he no open looks are going to be created if you single cover him stay at home just don't foul let him make a million shots again there was the game where he scored 50 whatever points against the Celtics. Dude. They won by two with a bunch of the Celtics best players not playing. So anyway, I think it is largely true. Like Jimmy is an amazing facilitator of other people. The Miami is great at having all these three point shooters run off a million screens and get open. And Jimmy and Bam are great at finding those guys. And so I think with Jimmy, it's like those guys are going to give you what they give you. Like, it's not a surprise when Jimmy or Bam kill you, but like what kills you is you, you like overreact to that. You bring more help and suddenly those guys are getting like wide open looks. And I think when we were talking about Derek white, we talked so much about his three point shooting and we talk about his defense generally, but I think like one of the most impressive things he's done in the series is just how much better he's got. It, first of all, it's comp- can you imagine being an opposing team and the decision you have to make is that you have to attack Derek White, a guy who just made the first team all defense? Like, not ideal. So, so like that's the decision they have to come to. And for three games, Jimmy Butler was destroying him, just shooting over him, making every shot, and Derek White got better at it. It's not like it's not a question of effort; it's a question of just getting better at doing the thing, like over time. And this is why basketball series are amazing. There's no, there's no like secrets left. Even the adjustment with the double screens that was springing all those Miami shooters open for threes in game six. Like they see it. They've seen it now. Like, um, so I, you know, game seven is going to be, it's going to come down to like some of it's going to come down to like will and effort and all that stuff. Some of it's going to come down to execution. Some of it's going to be make or miss league stuff. And then some of it's going to be. And then what we hope is that all that stuff evens out enough that the fact that the Celtics are a more talented team carries the day. Like, all things being equal, the Celtics will win. But all things aren't equal in basketball. So that's why it's like, <laughs> you just never game. know. 48 minutes. Yeah. It's gonna be yeah. A Do you know the on-off numbers for Tatum in this series? Have you guys looked at this? Plus 10.4. So the raw numbers are he's like they're plus 15 with him on the court for the series and minus 23 with him off, which doesn't sound that ridiculous. But when you think about how often he's on the court and how often he's off, it means that they're plus 3.7 per 100 possessions with him on the court. And this and this is wild. 
minus 26 and a half per 100 with him off the court, including a defensive rate. Miami scores 141 points per 100 possessions when Tatum is off the court. I wanted to bring that up before we left. 48 minutes, right? We need 48 minutes. I know we're running out of time. Uh, I do. I would like to spend a little bit of time just talking about like the the what Tatum is doing at age twenty five, and then like if you look at mm. some of the stats that he's involved in right now, you're talking about all time greats here. I mean, this is he is what thirty thirty ten and five. It's the most since LeBron in twenty eighteen for one postseason run. That's pretty remarkable when you're ever in the conversation with LeBron James. He has yeah. the most points by anyone in the playoffs through the first six seasons of their career. Uh, pretty wild. Um, he's just doing a bunch of historic stuff. And I got really mad the other day when, uh, and this is just me being stupid and it's Colin Cowherd playing to me. <laughs> he got me good on the like, you know, we don't talk about Michael Jordan's game six because it was after game six against the, the the Sixers. He's like, we don't talk about Michael Jordan scoring whatever points in game six against whatever. Like, we don't talk about that. I mean, I forget the point, the part where Tatum skipped like a whole bunch of guys and is now on the Michael Jordan, LeBron James like sort of level. But what we're seeing with him is truly historic. And I, it's, to 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 luck out with the mm. Philly drafts faults instead, like it's it's pretty unbelievable that Boston has probably the guy you'd want uh, if you didn't have like Nikola Jokic as your as your centerpiece. Like I as as much as I love Steph Curry, he's incredible. Um, Giannis is an incredible basketball player, but last night after watching that game and all the stuff that you now can compare Tatum to. Like, he's just a top five guy. And it's like, Jokic, Giannis, Curry, and then Tatum for me. Because at this point, with all the success in the postseason, the two straight first team All-NBAs, the two straight top five MVP finishes, and then what matters more than anything else, his team is, is around at the end of these, at the end of these seasons. And if he makes one more NBA Finals, if they find a way to get through Game 7, I'm just going to throw it out there. Jason Tatum probably has something to do with the fact that they went on to go to the NBA Finals. <laughs> uh, he's just He is a special player. And as, as much as we analyze all everything about him, he is like kind of the perfect guy. Like he's just – he is all about basketball. Seth was talking about how it was – it's kind of fun to listen to him after the game because it was pure joy and it was. Yeah. We're very fortunate that this is the guy for the Celtics and not anybody else because he's accomplished way more like than most. And I'm talking 99.9% of NBA players at age 25. Like he's just been, he's been amazing. And, and I don't know the, the, whether it's like he's tied Larry Bird for this amount of points. Like it, you're talking about I mean, he's, he's already, you know, never mind playoffs, but he's already recorded the most, you know, the, the highest single season points average in Celtics history. 25. You know, to bring it back to last year, Evan, I feel like we spent sure. a bunch of time talking about opportunity. Like we ended up coming around to this. I feel like we ended up coming around to this idea that we were just like, it was so cool that the Celtics had this opportunity. Mm-hmm. 
to like play this game seven and maybe go to the finals if they win it. And that's like something about last night's game about how crazy it was just about like about how absurd everything that happened down the stretches, like just continuing to miss those shots and like every, every insane thing that happened. And then Derek white making that play that we'll remember for the rest of our lives, probably. Um, yeah, it just made me it like I kind of felt how Tatum felt. I was just like, oh my god, like I've been so like miserable watching these games. I've been like tearing my the hair I don't even have out of my head. And like I was yeah, very it's good like, last night as I like you. it's so cool. Like we root for a good team. They're like good. They're good every year. They just like they have a shot at like be at like mattering every year and we get to root yeah. for them. And that's cool. Yeah. You know, it's really funny too. I, I haven't told you guys this because it's, it's it's not important, but it's it's a fun little whatever. So as you guys know, I had people over watching the game, and not just uh, friends, but like my kids had friends, and so it was this big like all of you know of various ages, and you know my uh, uh, what ten year old and and eight year old staying up obviously wicked late 11 whatever time it was the game ended and and watching this thing and just sharing this moment with them obviously uh but i'm i'm sitting there in the chair and butler hits the three free throws and obviously there's the timeout and i have my phone sitting next to me and i get you know like certain reporters i have notifications on for and if there's one guy, and I don't blame him for it at all, like plenty of people do this. I'm just singling him out. Washburn is, is like, he's definitely like one of those guys above anyone that, that like the first tweet of something that happens in the arena will be from Washburn without a doubt. And he happens to be someone I have notifications from. So I'm waiting for the play to start. You got to remember, like he's in the building. So I'm way behind yeah. watching it on TV. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like twitching. Like I'm, I'm just so nervous and pissed that this is about to end, you know, and the, the way it's going to end, not even that it's going to end the way it's going to end. And I see foul, by the way, Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I see, I I see my phone light up, you know, with the notification, you know, goes from black screen to notification pops up and I don't even know why I did, but I glanced down. And I just see a tweet from Washburn that says, oh boy, or oh my, <laughs> or whatever, or like something like that. And, and like the Celtics haven't even inbounded the ball yet. And I'm going, <laughs> and it, like I'm looking around and like obviously nobody else in the room that I like has a clue. And I'm like, are they going to do this? Are they really going to do this? <laughs> like, how's it? And I see smart shot go up and it misses. Uh, and then and then in that in that millisecond obviously i'm thinking like did what was washburn's oh my they came that close like the shot went halfway in and then popped out white play obviously and i was like oh just the roller coaster of emotions that happened inside that 30 seconds of my life was it was really something yeah i didn't want i didn't watch the free throws and by the time Derek white's shot counted i was on the ground i was literally screaming (laughs) and sitting down (laughs) Like a child, Derek White, again, like 15 straight. My voice still isn't like totally all the way back from that. It was, uh, it was something else. This has been a special run though. This has been a yeah. very special run. And I had, I, I had two friends appreciate. over, I had two friends over who don't really know each other. Shouts to Ted and Jake. And they, uh, 
they like when when we, we none of us thought the ba- the basket counted and when we saw the replay you could see it like clearly in the moment where we saw it clearly out of his hands before the light went on we like it it was like we, there was like high fives and like touching and hugging and like it's like these people don't even know each other like you know but that's like what that's what this shit it's does what sports to does like, to you it's why i it's why i always say and and everybody always says who's a sports fan this is not unique to me but i always say like if like if you don't love sports I, I like I, I feel like I can't even relate to you. Like I, yeah. I, I don't I don't get it. Like if you just if you don't feel something on this on on a, on a level that's that only sports can create for you, like true sports fandom. Because it's yeah. not even if you just watched like if you're just watching a game, but it was between two teams you didn't care about, and you saw the exact same thing happen. Different. You'd get a rush. You'd get a jolt. But you wouldn't feel it the same way. You know, you you wouldn't absorb it. It wouldn't be part of you. It wouldn't prevent you from sleeping at yes. night one way or the other. It would just be like a cool moment. Right. You know, something you'll, you you might mention, you might text someone, hey, did you see that? Yeah. But this, but this like shockwaves a- across friendships yeah. <laughs> when, when something like that happens. And it was so unreal. All right. If I can, because we, we do have to go. We've been long. But if I can pull this back to what you were just talking about, Seth, with Tatum and the on-off, because it's obviously an alarming differential. He played 44 minutes in Game Mm -hmm. 6. Had to. In Game 7, if this is close, and look, it'd be great if he plays 35 and it's a blowout win. But if this is the close game that most people would expect it to be, I mean, is this a full 48 for Tatum? Does he play, or, or, or if he is out, when do you do it? You know, and I I know some of that is just feel of the game, but what you know, and like what the lead is at or or deficit or whatever at a given time. But I mean, he's going to play the vast majority. Does he play at all? I think, uh, so I think the way you do it, or it seems like the way coaches do this and I'll, I'll use Jokic as a, um, as a comparison point, because I think him and Tatum tend to have the same rest patterns, like when they sit, um, and so the way I've noticed is like those guys will play the entire first quarter of a big game. Their coaches will try to get them. Uh, if there's like a break, like 30 seconds before, to a minute before the end of the, before the end of the first quarter, they'll try to get them out, see if they can get them a couple minutes around the quarter there and then sit them as long as they can in the second. Which usually is like a minute or two in a big game. Um, I think Tatum was back in like right at the nine forty-five mark, basically in both halves last in, last night. Um, and then my guess is if it's a close game that he doesn't come out in the second half. I mean, these national t- as as every coach loves to bring up, these national TV games have a lot of timeouts, and the timeouts are long, and. They, and like, you know, maybe, maybe this is an argument for Joe hanging on to some timeouts down the stretch so he can buy some rest. But like, you know, there's like reviews happen, blah, blah, blah. Jimmy and Bam each played what 46, 47 the other night. My guess is that we see Jimmy, Bam, Tatum. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see Derek White up there. Um, I don't know if, if Jalen works the same way. Like, the Celtics, well, Tatum, Smart, and White were the only guys to play forty plus in the last game. Smart the Celtics kind of survive okay. Like I think Tatum and White are the two guys who like need to be on the court for like just keeping things moving, sort of, and 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 the, and what they do defensively. 
Smart too. I, and smart I don't want to do a whole smart thing too. about this because, I, but he's such a polarizing figure. I, I like, there's no happy medium. Nobody is just like, yeah, he's all right. Like people either love and defend him to the death or people can't stand him and want him gone. There's just no in between, but I don't see how you can watch these games and not recognize the, the ball just, uh, and I'm not talking defensive player of the year stuff. I'm not talking about shot selection. I'm just talking about the flow of the offense. The ball does not move the same way when Marcus Smart's not in the game. Yeah. Plain and simple. I'll add to that. There's a reason that multiple – how many coaches has this team had in the last four years? Three different coaches? How many of those coaches run consistently run post-ups for that dude out of timeouts? I mean, like, there's a reason that like a lot of smart people who are involved with the Celtics – uh, go to Marcus Smart a lot. No, he's been he's been fantastic the last two games specifically. He's been yeah. He again. This goes back to I know that people don't like him. I, I don't understand the the reasoning why, but I I understand that they don't like him. But like he I Marcus Smart wins basketball games like and one that really matters. He just wins basketball games. He can do like true. things that you just can't. He just does, and he's been doing it ever since he was in college. If you watch Oklahoma State, Marcus Smart, this is the same stuff. It is, and he is an incredible basketball player. If you think about it, that draft is what Wiggins, Jabari Parker, Embiid, Aaron Gordon, Dante Exum, and then Marcus Smart. If Embiid gets traded, Smart's the only guy still on the original team that drafted him. And I'm not trying to say Embiid's getting traded, but I just want to point out that Smart. <laughs> Out of all of those guys, is the is is the only guy you'd go to war. I mean, I, I know Wiggins had a great finals last season, but Smart has so much more proof in the pudding. He, I'd rather go to war with that guy. And they, Julius Randle went to a GQ cover shoot instead of work out for the Celtics. Worked out really. You talk about luck, Seth. Let's make it full circle. The Celtics nabbing Smart because Julius Randle wanted to have a GQ cover shoot instead of work out. Thanks, Thanks, Julius. Appreciate Kaufman, you, Kaufman and I love Marcus Smart, but we're never going to get over the Julius Randle thing. No, I, 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 I look. I really wanted Boston to take Randle that year. <laughs> and, Someone who watched I, Marcus Smart in college, I was and so every, and every time that Randle has been available since, I've wanted the Celtics to sign him. I'm. I was a huge Smart fan in college. He was breathtaking in college. Same stuff. But like because he could have more of an impact, even like more jarring. Uh, but he's th- this is the and the, I'll leave with this. This will be my last thing to say. This is the if you look at the the Heat, the Celtics, uh, the Nuggets, the Warriors from last year. This is another uh, notch in the belt, so to speak, for continuity. Mm-hmm. The team's the yep. same, and and I mean. I know something like Philly has had a whole bunch of stuff go on. I know other teams haven't had the success, but sometimes keeping the same team together for a while, like really works out and Boston, Miami, Denver, definitely huge examples of that for sure. Well, game one of the NBA finals is Thursday. I very much hope that on our next show, Tuesday or Wednesday, it is right back here with us three previewing game one against the Denver Nuggets in Boston. That would be the dream. But first, of course, the Celtics, they need to do their job, which is make history and come back from all the way down 3-0, win a game seven in Boston. They got the pieces. They got the depth. They got the talent. They are healthy enough to do it. 
Just go do what you've been doing the last few. Do it again. And, uh, and, and we will all be able to celebrate. Uh, it's been incredible and I, an incredible run, incredible story, incredible fun. It can only, I hope, get better. So rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate superstition. And so thank you, Seth, for being back with us. I hope you both enjoyed your drinks and, uh, we will, we will be back sometime (laughs) after game seven to, uh, to talk about all of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a ride. Thanks for watching and listening.